Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast where we respond to stimuli based on learning history. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. Today we'll talk about mechanical and social incentivization and how you can encourage players to do what you want. I have, I talked a little bit about this in the past, but uh, the thing that I'm doing a little bit is planning some Dungeon World stuff. Okay. Because I am going to be running a Dungeon World adventure for some of my coworkers, um, which is going to be interesting. They are, for the most part, new people. Okay. They have a lot. I think we, I mean, again, I talked about this in the past. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to drone on about it. But like I started looking at playbooks and there are more Dungeon World playbooks than I expected. Oh, there are Um, enormous amounts. And people make a lot of really interesting ones. And I'm like having the problem. I was concerned at first because one of my, my, my players uh, slash coworkers wanted to play a gunslinger. Yeah. And I was really concerned that I wasn't going to be able to find a gunslinger playbook. And the problem isn't that I haven't been able to find one. It's that I found five yeah that, <laughs> and <laughs> and that i need to f- pick one yeah there are a lot of playbooks out there um this is very much the same it's really gotten the same kind of 3.5 boom that happened yeah. that everyone was making fan works and that is amazing because it means you get some really phenomenal playbooks like uh jeff stormer's the visitor which is an incredible uh visitation fantasy uh, trope character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also just get things that are truly unusable or are, are broken <laughs> or are just super yeah. boring. Well, and, and the problem with the, the, the gunslinger is that I found a bunch of them that are supposed to be like generic gunslinger type characters. Right. And I found a couple that are specific. Like, do you want to be a pistolier? Do you want to be a rifle gunslinger? Do you want to be a guy who carries okay. a cannon? I thought you were going to be saying like, Stephen King's The Gunslinger. Well, that and that, and that is that to me is a better playbook design. That is also explicitly the playbook that my friend wants to play. Right, and so that I'm is trying to find better. That. That's the better idea because yeah. Dungeon World thrives on tropes because it is apocalypse yeah. world. He also wants to be a centaur. Yeah, that's an interesting thing you told me. So I have me. to figure out how to make that work. But. I have some thoughts on how to do that using Class Warfare. Okay. Because Class Warfare is this little, it's a wonderful little book. It has a bunch of compendium classes mm-hmm. that you stick together to make one playbook. Okay. It doesn't always work. Yeah. Some things are boring and don't work. And you can end up with three of the exact same move, basically, if you're not careful. But there is like a monstrous creature or a monstrous bloodline mm-hmm. that could totally do the centaur part of it. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out, like, because most of the playbooks I've looked at have, like, one, you have one or two choices of races, and you yeah. have to decide, like, which one you want, and they give you, like, one move or two moves. Or, or Usually it's, one It's one move, one move or, like, a passive bonus or just yeah. a thing that gives you an, the okay to do something in the fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I've just kind of been, like, feeling out, like, with him, like, what is it? about centaurs that he wants to yeah does he want it to be aesthetic does he want it to be like a thing that he can do like if he had to pinpoint the thing about centaurs that is different in in like the most interesting way to him from other races like what what, would what would it be right so i figure worst case i'll just write a thing yeah i mean like it could definitely be done just as a race but if i've got someone who's changing their character that dramatically from the expectation. Yeah. I feel like it can make sense for it to be a larger part of the playbook. Yeah. 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 So 
that's what I'm working on. That's cool. Doing some stuff. And uh, I kind of had said for the newer people, play the like, play the the, the standard playbooks. Yeah. But if you had a specific thing in your head and you're more familiar with the concept of role playing, tell me what right. you want. And then like, I'm a person who is comfortable altering playbooks and rules in <laughs> games strangely well i'm uh, very much against doing that kind oh, of thing okay well then yeah. uh i won't tell you about it good um and uh hopefully sometime soon we'll be starting that and then i'll cool. have another little uh a little thing i can talk about great i'm gonna be poking at different parts of uh dungeon world and messing around with that on my own so i was i've i've been i've been looking around at the different um sort of rich sub subreddit communities Okay. For for pen and paper gaming, for pen and paper gaming. Okay. For pen and paper gaming. Okay. Because there are a lot of really cool ones, and like I, I spend a lot of time looking at the Fate subreddit because I like Fate, and even though I never play, uh, right. I like to hear the people talk about it, and I find a lot of things to bring to this podcast because a lot of the questions people ask in Fate are like, "How can I do this?" or right. "Why does Fate do this?" and th- because of the type of game that Fate is, it's very introspective about game design. Right, and like. I'll say actually PBTA also has a subreddit that I'm on all the time and it is always just people going like, hey, I wrote this move. Hey, I wrote this playbook. Hey, this is a full yeah. game I've made, and uh, which is interesting also. Yeah. And so I started looking at um, the RPG design subreddit. Okay. Specifically kind of looking for questions that I thought maybe or topics that might be interested to bring up here. Um, and, 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 uh, just, I'm always trolling for new ideas and ways to think about games and stuff like that. You heard it here first, folks. James is always trolling on Reddit. Yeah, that's true too. Unrelated though. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, I stumbled upon an interesting question someone had asked and I wanted to bring it up here because we're doing a game, a game, right. we're doing a, we're doing a brainstorming episode this time yes. around. So we're talking about big concepts in gaming and game design and, the person had asked a question about incentives right? and how do you incentivize players to do things and what are the different ways that you, you can add incentives to your game when you are designing it um, to, to sort of affect the way the players will play right. and how does your choice of how you are going to do that and what kinds of incentives you're going to use change the way that people play. Right. And you brought this idea to me and I was very much into it. Because I, in my professional life, am an applied behavior analyst at an inpatient psychiatric unit. Yeah, you're a behavioralist. I'm a a behavioralist. I study beehives and how to make bees change very specific behaviors using analysis of their behaviors and the functions that are behind them. Can you make them stop going away? Can I make bees stop going away? the bees are all going away. Where are they going? (laughs) What are you talking about? Bees are going away. <laughs> they're, no, they're going to go get to go get pollen. No, no, no. They're going away. They're no, disappearing. They're, oh, you mean they're dying out? <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're going away. They're well, they're getting on their bee boats and going to the west. Yeah, that that is exactly what's happening. <laughs> uh, I think that has more to do with the humans than the bees. Right, but couldn't we change the bee? behaviors i think we'd have to change the behaviors <laughs> of the humans okay well whatever that happen i'm close uh, you're close you're close uh but basically the idea behind aba and behind the behaviorism that i do is looking at very specific behaviors and seeing how can we increase or decrease those behaviors by looking at what the function of the behavior is yeah uh, which just is an explanation that uses the word behavior like eight different times. <laughs> yeah, and I think that there's an important thing that I want to get out of the way right before we start. Okay. Which is that 
the thinking about behaviors is definitely a thing that is like right under the hood of if you were going to take a game that had a lot of genre baked into it. Absolutely. That is like, that is the core incentives and, and effect and thinking about the way that your players behave in the game is definitely core to that type of game. Absolutely. But it's not un it's not alien to other types of games. Like every yeah. game, whether or not it's, it's incentivizing you to play to a genre is incentivizing you to do something. Absolutely. And so while some of this may be like, and a lot of what we're going to talk about is probably in the context of pushing you to your players or players who play your game toward a genre. Right. It is definitely like one of the things we're going to talk about is Dungeons and Dragons, which we've established isn't a super high genre game. Um, But every game, I mean, that's just because like everyone is always incentivizing everyone all the time. I mean, if you look at things from a purely behaviorist perspective, Every behavior is being driven by some kind of an incentive. Uh, in order for something, in order for a behavior to happen, yeah. like behaviors don't talk about thought really. In order for a behavior to happen, there has to be a stimulus to that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so James, we are sitting down to play some D&D. Yes. And you say, I'm going to be the thief. And the first time you steal something, I administer a very painful electric shock to you. <laughs> That doesn't seem fair. At <laughs> well, all. No, it's, it's just what I do. <laughs> that seems very out, outside of the game. Well, yeah, no, but that's okay. what I do, right? All right, all right. So then the next time you steal, yeah. I administer a very painful electric shock oh, to no. you. I'm noticing a pattern. Are you likely to continue to steal in the future? <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I am not a normal person. Uh, I'm committed Right, exactly. Playing a character. But a normal person probably would go, hey, I don't really feel like being shocked anymore. Yeah, I don't feel like getting shocked. Uh, so I'm not And you might not that. even sit at the table anymore. Yeah, I'd probably stand. You'd, you'd probably leave. Yeah. Or maybe attack me. Okay, yeah, um, that's fair. But if I gave you a cookie every time, yeah. even if I don't make a show of it, mm-hmm. if we're just like sitting at the table and we're eating some cookies while we game, and just like, you know, anytime you steal something, I just pick up a cookie and hand it to you. You just got a cookie. Yeah. And that's actually going to reinforce the behavior. If a behavior is working for what you want to happen, mm-hmm. uh, it if a behavior is functional, it's probably the better way to word it. Okay. If a behavior is functional, it will continue to happen. So like an example that I have to deal with quite a lot is kids that throw a fit and hurl themselves on the ground and like slam their hands and feet and scream because they don't want to go to school. We might look at that and say, oh, look, they did that and then they got punished. Like, yeah. you know, they, they lost some privilege or they weren't able to do something they wanted to do. They didn't go out to the side to the playground, whatever. Uh, but the function of the behavior was to avoid school. Yeah. If they have to sit in a timeout chair for the entirety of school, they still manage to avoid school. So the behavior was functional. Yeah. And so that's what you have to look at in terms of incentives is how can we take a functional behavior because players are already doing functional things at the table yeah and replace it with an even more fu- with a behavior that is doing what we want them to do yeah if you want your players to give a more uh a more thoughtful take on playing adventurers but currently they're going around being murder hobos and just like destroying everything in your beautifully crafted fantasy land yeah that is a behavior that's working. They are receiving positive things from it. They're receiving laughter from their friends, which is social reward. They're receiving attention from you, even if you're going like, come on, guys, don't do that. Yeah. They're receiving experience. They're ex- receiving loot. 
they're getting all of these wonderful things and they're getting time sitting around with friends and maybe they're enjoying a soda at the same time. That's yeah. also reinforcing. Maybe they don't need to think about work while they're doing that. That's also reinforcing. Yeah. So if you're going to replace their murder hobo behavior, you need to be able to provide an incentive that is powerful enough to overcome those other incentives. Yeah, which is going to be hard because... Right. Or a punishment that's powerful enough. Yeah. Incentives Although... tend to work better than punishment. And remember, if a punishment comes with attention, then it's rewarding. Yeah. And reinforcing. Yeah. That's so if like, if you're stealing everything and I have the guards grab you and throw you in a cell, you got this awesome story about how your thief got captured and thrown in a cell. Yeah. And I've given you attention and spotlight and I've reinforced that behavior. Yeah, that was one of the, uh, this is maybe a tangent that I won't put in the in the okay. podcast, but um, that was one of the things that that initially pissed me off, and the fact that it became a major plot point of the Dungeons and Ran- Dungeons and Randomness podcast. Okay, was a uh, it was a it's a D and D actual play, yeah. And one of the things that was like a key part of the early camp, like the early story, yeah, was that the GM plopped them into a, a fantasy world. They're playing okay. 4e. And so they do the things that 4E characters do, which is like someone insulted them in a bar and they started a fight and like yeah. they were told to, they were hired to go like take out some assassins. And then yeah. as soon as they like take out these assassins, the GM had the town guards show up and be like, hey, you committed murder. That's illegal. You can't do that. Uh. And then they became, they, they built up this antagonistic relationship with the town. And I was yeah. like, I don't, I understand that maybe this is the plot line you were looking for, but like, I if I were that player, I would feel very tricked because you're expecting me to do like everything right. in this game is incentivizing me to do this. Right. And then, and you're then being for told you, you can't do it. you're being telling you're coming to me and saying, why did you do that? Well, that is really similar to how a lot of really negative parental relationships end up going with kids is the kid will start complaining and whining and all those things that they want ice cream or whatever. And then the parent, after trying to ignore it for a little while, either gets in a shouting match with the kid, which is attention and therefore reinforcing or, and, or actually gets the kid, the ice cream, which is extremely reinforcing. (laughs) Yeah. So you've basically created the coercive cycle, uh, of players going like, Hey, I want to do this thing. And then you go, Oh, I'm punishing you. Yeah. But you've punished them so late. Like realistically punishment is not going to work at the game table. Yeah. Unless you are legitimately applying a very painful electric shock. Like, <laughs> there is yeah. not really a punishment that you can so do. I think, I think that is an important fact, because I think for the rest of our discussion, we're broadly going to talk about in positive incentives. Right. And rewards. a lot of the older games have a lot of things about punishing your characters. Like, there are so many games that just say, uh, hey, if your characters aren't, if, you're, if your character is being, if your players are being a pain, punish them with this. Yeah. And that's crazy. We're friends getting together, wanting to do something. Yeah. So, but also all of the ways that the game will mechanically give you to punish players play into the story and the incentive uh, and the rest of the incentive structure. Like if, if your heroes are being murder hobos, the way that D and D is going to suggest you punish your players is by sending monsters at them. Yeah. That's the very thing that they're prepared and incentivized to do anyway. Exactly. So they are ready to fight the guards. Yeah. They want to fight the guards. Robin hood is one of the heroes that they're looking up to. Yeah. So that doesn't, that doesn't de-incentivize. So, 
And I'm going to try to stop talking about psychology now. And that's start fine. Talking that's about fine. Games. That's one of the reasons why I thought this was interesting because I know that you are a behavioralist, and exactly. so I I wanted to get your take on that. Right. And as behavioralists know, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Yeah. yeah. And, and more bees. And yeah. So based off of a little bit of thinking that I did on this, okay, I want to sort of maybe create a hypothesis and see how you feel about it, okay. which is that I think broadly that all incentives in pen and paper games break down into one of two categories, okay. either front loaded incentives or front loaded rewards or back loaded rewards. And an example of that, and sort of to help make this distinction is a front loaded reward is uh, the, where the reward is clear and plain and is sort of a, um, Paladins and fighters in D&D have high armor classes and they have rewards to blocking and like right. Bennett, they have, they have bonuses so that when you, when you go to roll, you know, up front, I'm going to get a plus three to this thing because I'm good at it. That's the thing I'm supposed to do. Exactly. So that is how they are incentivizing you. Like you are, if you're the full, if you're the full plate mail wearing paladin you, you have a in. you have a huge bonus to defense and a really bad negative to sneaking yeah and so when you have to choose between those two things you're going to do the one that is blocking and defending because that's the thing that you have the big upfront bonus for right and it's staring you in the face and saying block stuff i'm good at this yes the flip side of that is when you do something and then the game says hey you did something here's a reward okay like I killed a monster. Here's experience Tangibles. or, or like I played into my aspect. So here's a fate point. Okay. Or something we'll get into a little bit more because it's a little bit nuanced, but like corruption in urban shadows, right? Where you do a thing and you get corruption out of it. Right. And even some of the narrative things can be, uh, after the fact incentives. If you do, if you do the, the big romantic gesture in Monster Hearts, then maybe the person in your class likes you now. Yeah. Like, and, a, and a lot of the... Little the, things like that. A lot of the PBTA moves are sort of that backloaded incentive because they are do a thing in the fiction and then because you've done that thing in the fiction, you get this cool effect. Right. And so, so I'm going to take just a, another little second for psychology. Okay. Um, To kind of throw in... Talk about reinforcers. Okay. So reinforcers are the things that make you more likely to do behavior. It's the cookie after you do the good thing. Uh, it's when you're training a dog, tossing them a treat whenever they sit down yeah. to teach them out and saying sit to teach them how to sit. Uh, with, with the front-loaded ones, the, in, the reinforcer that is happening is a social reinforcer of rolling well. Yeah. So you do your roll and your behavior of doing the thing Action that your class that you is good at. Yeah is reinforced by rolling well, feeling successful, and seeing your friends being successful with you, yeah. like high-fiving you or something like that. With the back-loaded ones, the ones that are coming uh, after your action, that's basically what we call a tangible. It's earning something specific that you okay. get to have. Makes sense. Uh, and so basically, the it's the same method of reinforcement, but it's the difference between a social reinforcer versus a tangible reinforcer. Yeah. Okay, uh, I so I just wanted that. to throw that yeah, out. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Because uh, that can potentially be helpful to think about. And so I wanted to talk about those two types of things and a couple of the, the interesting examples yeah. that sort of fit in the middle. 
Um, and then I want to talk about why you would want to use one or the other if you were okay. just sort of developing a game whole cloth. And, Sounds great. And then follow that up with, and or finish up with, if you were, if we've decided at this at this point that they're different and you might want to use one in a certain situation versus the other, okay. then if you were playing a game but you wanted to switch its incentive structure, how would okay. you do that? Okay. Sounds good. And so, so why don't we talk about Urban Shadows? Because okay. that is an interesting one. And I think that has a lot of the the building in um that has a lot of the what's the the reinforcing activities. Okay. Or, or reinforcing actions um structure into it. Because yeah. with with corruption, you if you do things that fit into the corruption structure for your playbook, you receive corruption points. Yes. And when you receive enough corruption points, you usually get another ability or move yes that then is usually one because it's a corruption move that triggers more, more corruption and sends you down this spiral of gaining more corruption gaining more corruption moves which then do more and more and more and more and more right and eventually you lose your character yeah which is an interesting counter incentive in that chain it's interesting because remember what i was saying that punishers are less effective than incentives yeah and so that is a single punishment that's related to dozens of actions. And so it's not going to change player behavior as much as you might think. Yeah. Well, and I think and I think the thing you were saying about uh, even certain types of punishments being... Uh, reinforcing. Being reinforcing because they're accidentally giving attention... Like when you finish oh, yeah. your character, when when you when you end your 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 uh, corruption track in an in an, uh, an urban shadows game, that character like becomes like the embodiment of that corruption. Yeah, and goes off to, and is supposed to like become you become a, a threat. You become a threat in the world. So that's yeah. that, that's taking your character and turning them into like a big bad guy. Yeah, and then you get to make a new character. Yeah, so that's, so that's super really cool. still a reward. Absolutely, of sorts. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that uh, Andrew Medeiros or uh, Mark Truman intended those to be punishments or yeah. to be a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. They talk. I they know. talk in dozens of places about how it's a good thing. <laughs> I know in every game of Urban Shadows we've played, I have tried to just dive into that as yeah. hard. And to I've intentionally tried to rush through the corruption track as yeah. fast as I possibly can. Well, they even gave the tool that the person who's ultimately in charge of deciding whether you triggered your corruption move is the player. Yeah. Because it's not a punishment. Yeah. And it is a it is a really cool thing that gives you new moves yeah. to do new cool things. Yeah. So this is an interesting thing in terms of just the structure that we were talking about before of like the pre the frontal the front loaded or back loaded, mm -hmm. right? Um because on the one hand it's there on your sheet. It is telling you to do this thing. But it's not telling you that you're going to be good at it necessarily. Yeah. That said, they tend to line up with what you are good at. For example, uh the wolf has uh when you start a hunt uh, if anyone says they're going to hunt somebody in Urban Shadows and they're the wolf, they're going to catch that person. Like, there's not really a... I mean, I guess they could make an extend your senses roll or a let it out roll, but they are a werewolf. They yeah. can they can hunt people well. But, like, I've also... I've in the, in the last Urban Shadows game that we were playing, I was playing a, an avenging angel. Yeah. And so some of my avenging took the form of 
just kicking down doors. Oh, yeah. And assaulting an entire biker gang by myself. Right. Which was definitely in line with the Avenging Angel that I was supposed to be. Yeah. But definitely had some risk to it. And I think I I got pretty lucky. Yeah. But I did. There was one of the one of the times I kicked in a door and took on a biker gang. uh, I definitely needed the assistance of our friend who was playing a wizard. Yeah. To come help me because I would have taken a lot of damage and and really hurt myself. So. So, yeah. So maybe it isn't as much front load as it's back loaded. You do the action and then you receive the thing. And so what that encourages you to do the first time you get that little check if you properly are understanding that it's a cool thing, then it encourages you to do it. If you don't understand that it's a cool thing, then this then it gets a really interesting sort of reinforcement thing that they give you the Benny that is like, hey, you're a little bit in trouble. This is a black dot on you. And then in five things, they surprise give you something really nice and cool. Yeah. And then that really pushes behavior. <laughs> yeah. And the thing I think that is interesting with Urban Shadows and the corruption track specifically is. Yeah. So if, if you are doing, if you're the wolf and you're doing that corruption move mm-hmm. of hunting, then the thing that you get when you get five of them, five yeah. corruption points, when you buy the new move, it's not necessarily going to be a move that reinforces hunting people. That's it's going to be a move that reinforces or that that expands upon the wolfness of your character yeah. in a different way. Yeah. And that, that's what all of them do. And as you b- get more of these corruption moves, you will be building that genre trope of the wolf. Mm-hmm. But that and, and so it's it's interesting because it's not just giving you reinforcement on that one activity of hunting thing. No, it's hitting it's getting you to be that character. Yeah. And so it's sort of a side incentive, too. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, single best corruption move in the entire game, Sun and Moon on the wolf, which allows you to turn into a wolf whenever you would like to. Nice. By marking corruption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that's interesting, and I, and I like, so something I want to talk about. Okay. Um, In Fate, okay. you kind of have an interesting relationship between both front-loaded and back-loaded uh, incentive structures okay so you have skills and you can use the create aspect um it's not a move it's, <laughs> it's a, kind you of can, a move <laughs> you can do the create aspect action to yeah. create aspects in the world okay. which is a type of backloaded incentive because it's giving you control over the world and saying if you roll well at this then because you've succeeded at this role you get to in, like you get to create a fact of about the story okay and if you roll well enough, you get free invokes on that. Okay. And invokes are upfront incentives because you can invoke them and get a plus one on your next roll. Okay. To then make another create an like to create another aspect, which you would then be doing better because you have those free invokes, mm-hmm. which you can then do well on and create another aspect that you have free invokes on, and you can keep tagging them and going down and if they all make sense then you can go down this chain of just building lots and lots of free invokes right and aspects in the world right and that's interesting because it sort of bounces you back and forth in in letting you create your own front-loaded aspect uh free front-loaded incentives to then help you move yourself forward in a direction well in kind of a broad way most games that are working well should be that kind of dopamine machine yeah that you are consistently receiving some reinforcer of the behavior that you're doing. 
Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. That's exactly what it's doing. It, it, different games do it differently. Like if you think of the the treasure hedonic treadmill of D and D, yeah, constantly fighting things so that you can get better stuff, so that you can fight better things. It's the same idea that you're creating consistently growing situations for you to be reinforced yeah. to do the behavior that you're doing. Yeah, because you get those experience points by doing things. Exactly. And you do those so that you you have upfront incentives to do certain things. And if yeah. you do those things, then you succeed more, which gives you more experience points, which you can spend to do those things better. Exactly. And so when you look at different games, it also tells you how advancement work also frequently tells you what kinds of behaviors are going to be reinforced. Yeah. In D&D, most of the time, the way most people play, combat is the the source of experience. So you're not probably going to have players going like, hey, I'm going to try to be super cute and pretty and make people laugh. Yeah. But if you're playing Golden Sky Stories... You will. You will. Because that's where the incentive lies. Yeah. Can you think of a game that only does one type or the other? I'm not sure that I can mm-hmm. because I see where you're thinking in terms of the front loaded versus the back loaded. Yeah. But in my mind, I go to the basically internally motivated okay. versus the externally motivated. Okay. Because internally we're motivated to do good stuff and get positive social interaction. Yeah. Uh, and we do that by, by rolling on the things and doing the things that we're good at. Yeah. Um, I would even, I'm just, I'm even thinking of just like my life with master, which is not a game about being good at stuff or uh, hot guys making out mm-hmm. where you have a character that is explicitly bad at doing stuff. When you do things poorly, well, the other players at the table are going to give you positive, uh, positive social interaction from that. Okay. So maybe my whole premise is kind of a little bit off. Maybe I don't need to think about, maybe we shouldn't be thinking about where the reward to your action comes, like in terms of relationship to the action, but it's more, what is the function? What is, what is the, the reward driving you towards? Yeah. Because I think there's something to be said in that as well. I'm thinking right now of monster hearts versus dungeon world mm-hmm. and actually now that i'm saying this out loud i feel like it's also <laughs> apocalypse world okay it has the same thing as monster hearts uh but i'll admit it's been a long time since i've played apocalypse world so in i think apocalypse i think yeah in one scenario apocalypse world and monster hearts you highlights you, the other players highlight specific stats for you and if you do actions involving those stats then you get to mark experience. Okay. So uh, if I have the most strings on you and I want you to be scary and dark and like shutting people down all the time, then I'm going to highlight your cold. And that tells you that I want to see you be mm-hmm. cold. Two incentives here. You're getting the social, uh, the short social response from me that you're doing the thing that I wanted to see you do. Yeah. And you're getting an experience point for it. Uh, Now looking at Dungeon World. In Dungeon World, you get experience when you fail at something. Yeah. So that discourages you from just using the things you're good at. Yeah, it it encourages you to take risks. Exactly. So in Monster Hearts, you're probably going to be trying to roll with the highlighted stats. 
there's a fair chance that your highlighted stats are also the stats you're good at. Yeah. Uh, but not necessarily. I think there's an interesting thing to think about whether or not the game is pushing you to do a single thing really well. Yeah. Or incentivizing you to do a bunch of things. Like okay. because you're because you gain experience points by f- or you, yeah, you, it's by failing in yeah. Dungeon World, it's encouraging you to do a bunch of things. Yeah. And and fail at them. And right. or like with the Urban Shadows example, it's not encouraging you to just hunt as a wolf, it's encouraging you to do the broad spectrum of wolf things. Right, absolutely. And that contrasts with Dungeons and Dragons that encourages you to do the thing that is most efficacious in yeah. killing the monster because even if you choose to spend like if you if you level up in D and you choose to spend your experience points to pick up new skills right like there's still some built-in stuff that you pick up because you've leveled up in your class yeah to push you towards that same thing yeah unless you're dependent upon multi-classing and things yeah, like yeah, that. yeah so there's some but there's like, some leeway if you're playing a wizard and you didn't make a bizarre build it doesn't make sense for you to go up and punch the golem in the face. Yeah. And in Dungeon World, it might. Yeah. Which uh, is interesting. And I think it that's I think that tells you an interesting thing about those two games. Yeah, and I think actually an even better example is masks. Mm-hmm. Because in masks, the stats move based yeah. upon what your character is feeling. So you might have an expectation, like you might be someone who has been a big, scary bruiser for yeah. a long time, but right now you're not feeling confident. Right mm-hmm. now you're feeling like you have a very low danger. Yeah. So you, but you know what? You're a bruiser. So you go out there and you punch the guy and you fail because you're at a minus two danger right now because everyone has been telling you what a wonderful fluffy bunny you are. Uh, but that's a really good story. And it gets you that <laughs> that uh, yeah. additional point of towards advancement so i want to ask a question about sort of the broader strokes of building a an incentive structure i think there's a very obvious way in which you can take a character that you're building or or modifying like if you're writing a new playbook for a game or something um where you it's easy to see like this is what i want them to do so i'll make them good at that and then when they do that thing i'll reward them and then that will push them to do that thing more yeah and that do that sort of incentivization spiral that you want, which push your players who are playing that class towards one set of actions. Right. But how can you step back and look at your whole game? Or if you're changing a game and saying, I want, I want to take D and D, but I want my characters to do more like this stuff. Unless I want them to be more just, I want them to fight with an army or whatever. I don't want them to be murder hobos. How can I shift the incentivization structure for the whole game and the specific example that the person on Reddit asked and that I really am interested in exploring here is so we incentivize the the beefy paladin who has a high um, armor class to step in the way and defend their ally. Right. Because there are squishy wizards who need to be defended. Right. So obviously when you do that, you're good at it and you get an incentive because that's the thing that you do. And that's the thing the game designer wants you to do. Okay. Should I, as the squishy wizard, be rewarded for putting myself in positions where I need to be defended by you, the paladin, because that's a thing that we want. Like we want that moment where I'm in danger and then you defend me. And also, and also specifically like your, if, if, if a lot of your, uh, if a lot of your reward structure is built into that, if Mm -hmm. I'm being cautious as a wizard, then you'll never have those 
Which yeah, which all which of my incentives are pushing are it towards, pushing towards you being because uh, yeah. I'm bad at that. Well, then you, you never got four have HP. Yeah, and you then will then never have that unless unless uh, unless the third person in this room who isn't here as the GM is really attacking, going out of their way to attack me, the wizard. Yeah, then you're going to be really hard pressed to find those those uh, those moments where you can step in and defend me. And so, can you? Can we should, create a reward structure? Yeah. Should that. should every could you build like could you take D and D and like just really ramp up the XP game and say everyone has like the thing that they do and you get experience points for doing a thing but you also get experience points for setting up other people for doing the things that they do well. Okay, yeah, I think I think there's two really cool things that can be done with that. One of them is the thing that you just said is giving the experience specifically for exact actions mm-hmm. that's done really effectively in dungeon world with how alignment and with how yeah with how alignment is set up that you choose a thing that at the end of every session you're going to get a little boost if you did it yeah uh and that very nicely makes you go oh i should do these things yeah the other thing i think hasn't been done in a lot of places but actually, a modification to Dungeon World has a similar idea. Have I have I talked to you about flags no, in Dungeon World? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I had a little bit of a hard time finding the source of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks... What I was able to find was The Walking Mind, which looks like it's a blog... And they sourced Judd Carlman's first quest as an as an idea of where it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the actual name on it. Okay. But basically the idea is this. Dungeon World initially has bonds, which are just connections between characters, background the way that most Apocalypse World games have. Yeah. That works really well if you have a group of five players that are playing exactly the same way every time. It works less well if you have a community of 25 characters that are being dropped in, dropped out like a mercenaries guild, which is how a lot of people play fantasy games. Um, I'm thinking of uh, the gauntlet has quite mm-hmm. a lot of that going on. And there's actually also where I heard of flags. So, you know, fair props to them as well. <laughs> uh, the way flags work is they are situations that a player wants to be put into. So they're behaviors that other players enable, quote, ideally ones that really emphasize elements of your character as you envision them. So if you envision your character as gullible, then the flag might be, tell me a lie lie that I believe. If you envision your paladin as righteous, then the flag might be, offer me an easier solution that cuts corners I am unwilling to cut. So basically, if you are a defender, a staunch defender that takes care of people, you might choose a flag of put yourself in a put me in a situation that I have to rush to someone's aid mm-hmm. which then incentivizes so if you do someone's flag then you mark XP and they mark XP okay I like that yeah so it really encourages you to activate people's flags and then you get that cool drama as well. That is a really cool replacement for the sort of regular bond system. It's really cool. I, I think it's better as a supplement because I like having yeah. the relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really like it 
in terms of replacing the experience thing that bonds carry. Um, I think actually bonds are one of the least elegant things in all of Dungeon World. Um, it's used for aid another in a way that doesn't really make sense because mm-hmm. it's just your relationship with the person that affects your ability to aid them. Yeah. And if I'm a barbarian with plus four strength and I'm aiding somebody that I'm only kind of close to, I can still use that plus four strength. That makes yeah. more sense to me. But even in something like Noir World, which yeah. I think has a really elegant bonds connection yes, system, it does. you're still going to end up with some scenes where... Uh, if I have a bond with your character, yeah. if your character is not in that scene that I'm in, well, then that doesn't inform the way I should play as much as it does when you are in the scene. I mean, it may That's still true. be relevant because, like, the bonds are really well designed and they're and there's some, some of them are big, big picture things. But, yeah. like, if my bond is that I hate your character, unless the scene is specifically uh, set up in About- a way for me to, like, go behind your back to, to screw you over. Yeah. Well, then, like, if you're not there, there isn't a whole lot for me to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so having those sort of flags as as, as things that I'm interested, story beats that I'm interested in, in yeah. occurring or that other players in the game are interested in having occur. Yeah. Well, that gives me a thing for them, for me to act towards, even in, in spite of my or in addition to my bonds yeah i'm picturing uh the the journalist or the the girl slash boy friday yeah uh having something like put me in a situation that i get to witness something that i get to witness something i shouldn't yeah i would be really interested to see a way um remind me how in noir world or in a game like this you establish new bonds so that's the awkward thing there really hasn't been a system as far as I've seen mm-hmm. that does it elegantly or well. Um, in general, so the granddaddy apocalypse world, when you fill your history with somebody, then it you get an experience point and it starts over. Mm-hmm. But you can have history with pretty much anybody in theory. Yeah, Bonds... In Dungeon World, you only have like four or five. Yeah. Or actually, actually, I guess three to six, I think is the correct answer. And you kind of just clear them if you've, if you, if res- you like resolve, resolve them, them. Yeah. Which is so nebulous and isn't clear. And, like, and then aren't you supposed to replace them? And then you replace them but you're, with whatever you'd like. Yeah. So, so that's kind of weird. So I, well, yeah. I think where I'm going with this is it'd be very interesting, interesting to have flags. But if, if you... But if maybe so, okay. The way that you described flags was that I say I'm a paladin or you're, you're a paladin and you want to have that scene where you get to step in front of somebody's attack to defend yeah. the, the the wizard or, or yeah. somebody because you want to defend people. And that's cool. And interesting to you. Yeah. So it would be interesting if then, so then I, we enter a scene uh, I'm in it. I don't have a bond with you necessarily, but I can see as the wizard that you want to, to defend someone and i know that i'm a wizard and i need to have defense it'll be so perfect, maybe yeah. i step a little further into danger to allow that to happen yeah to try to fulfill that bond if and so i should get experience points for that or i should get some kind of an incentive for that yes at the end of the session with flags you would get an experience but point. if you're already getting experience for defending people then maybe the thing that you get for me playing into that flag is not just more experience but mm. if the if fulfilling that flag built some sort of bond between us, okay, 
Like like history almost. Yeah, because we did have that cool moment where yeah, you defended me. You saved my life. You could That's create basically an if you lifted the HX system from Apocalypse World pretty much wholesale and just made it so that you have a score from negative three to positive three mm-hmm. with a person, and if you satisfy their flag, you get a plus one. Then that would really encourage these kind of the yo yo that happens with apocalypse world that you get up to three with them then you get it again and you learn something important and deep about them and then it starts back over yeah really encourages you to hit flags with a bunch of different people in your party if you can yeah 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 because you'll be so i think that'd be an interesting way to replace to add add new bonds between characters because those moments where you play into someone like if if your flags are appropriately big and awesome like those big cool scenes that you want to have well then like they should something should come out of them in the in the narrative more than just in the in the um the mechanics because i think i think sort of what i like about the thing that corruption does in urban shadows is it just it gives you more than just a mechanical incentive to do it it's giving you a story incentive because yes you get the little benny and that gives you and then when you get enough of them you get a new move yeah but because all of those moves are building you towards acting like a werewolf you are being pushed in the narrative towards acting in a certain way right and then also the, just the fact that it's called corruption also makes you think if you're at if you have four corruption moves you know you're going to be looking at that and going like, oh, I get to be scary now. Yeah. 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 So I think that's interesting. I have to play around with that a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Um, coming up with a new system for creating bonds. I, I would really recommend trying out flags mm-hmm. when you play Dungeon World. I probably will. Like, I know I could, I'm a big story gamer. I like to play by the rules, especially the first time I play the game. But, and Dungeon World is a fantastic game. But bonds don't work the way I want them to. Okay. Well, and I think Flags does a really good job of. Maybe we will have to do a game storming episode in the future where we spend a little bit more time looking at bonds. Yeah, totally can. And talking about how to create them because that that is a thing. Creating new bonds between people is a thing that I want. Yeah. And and like there's a there's an element where when you that first time we sat down to play Mm -hmm. noir world where we went through all the different connections between all the different people and you were like oh my god this is insane yeah you could ratchet it up even more if during the game play you are creating new connections between players that's true i mean you might get a little bit extreme but yeah it's the question is just i guess are you doing the work ahead of time are you deciding ahead of time what the relationship is going to be, or are you making it after? Because that that's a kind of an interesting thought. Because that's basically what bonds are: is yeah. it's deciding ahead of time what the relationship is going to be. Yeah. Because through the course of gameplay, people tend to make relationships. So, do you have anything else you want to talk about? We kind of uh, we kind of got off track of the initial uh, sort of pathway I thought we would take through this this conversation, because. I, I I had a really clear idea of what I thought incentives in games looked like. Okay. And having talked through it, I think I have a a, a, a different, I, I think it's different. And I okay. Think, and I really don't think that most, I had sort of sat down and thought, well, this game does this and this game does that. And like, yeah, some of these games are front loading their incentives and these are, are back loading. Yeah. But I think that the most, I think the sort of the thing we came, we, we sort of talked about was that the most effective games do both. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can say Pasión dos Pasiones. Uh, you get a Benny if you 
are doing the thing that your playbook is about. Yeah. Um, and really, that anytime that there's a system where you're receiving bennies, especially from each other, Primetime Adventures fan mail is a great example. That is, that right there is just about as behavioral as you can get. Yeah. Especially if you have physical objects that someone is just going like, ting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got your thing. So how, so can you go into like, how, how are you working, thinking about incentives as you're writing Passion? Basically the way that I'm looking at, at incentives is I know that I don't want characters to be, become more powerful. Yeah. Or like get into a thing that, at the beginning they're 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 not established and at the end they totally are what i want is for twists and turns and stuff like that and more than anything else what i want is genre genre adherence and genre yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. play and so really what i'm trying to hit the most with the incentives is is getting those specific playbook trope responses and part of that also is because when it's just like handing someone a benny uh and it really is there probably will be bennies on some tables uh but even more important is that that builds the social it reinforces it socially as well Mm -hmm. because giving someone a benny is reinforcing because they smile at you but making a big elaborate over-the-top falling in love gesture is way more reinforcing because the entire table is like laughing and cheering with you. Yeah. 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 I wonder how <laughs> this is just going to be me jumping to a different topic. Entirely. That's okay. But I was thinking about how does that work with, or as someone who is a behavioralist behavior. Yes. Talk to me about, um, the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Okay. You have, you have physical bennies that you're handing to people yes. to change their story. Okay, so here's basically how it works. Um, the There's a difference between a reinforcer and a bribe. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is really difficult for a lot of people to figure out when they're first doing behaviorism. If you are asking someone to do something and telling them what the reinforcer is ahead of time, you're really more bribing them mm-hmm. than reinforcing them. Uh, what is most reinforcing in Baron Munchausen is the laughter and the clapping mm-hmm. and the and all that stuff because that is a rowdy game. I think at yeah, any yeah, table. yeah. Um, and so what is actually being reinforced is not changing the story necessarily. It's any action, any big action you're doing in the game, any jump, any leap. Because that's when you're going to get the social reactions. Yeah. So the player that comes up with a wild and wacky suggestion will get reinforced if it's a good, wacky, wild suggestion. Mm-hmm. And the players that accept those suggestions will get reinforced because they'll get more attention. That's a game that's run almost entirely on social response yeah. and attention. Hmm. Yeah, would you say that that a a like um a defensive bonus in Dungeons and Dragons that defensive bonus that the 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 paladin gets the big AC the sort of yeah. the strength and stuff is that a bribe it kind of is it's it's almost like because you're saying up front here's the here's the thing you'll get and like here's all the reasons why yeah. you're good at it yeah it kind of is a bribe um 
which means basically the difference is between a bribe and a reinforcer is that if the reinforcer disappears, the behavior still persists. Okay. If a bribe disappears, the behavior doesn't happen. Yeah. So the paladin, if he's getting, if the paladin is getting good stuff by, if the paladin gives a speech and then gives a Benny, then that is a reinforced behavior that's going to happen again. If the paladin has the bribe of you have a very large shield and then that shield is taken away from them, they will no longer necessarily exhibit yeah. the defensive behavior they because don't the have bribe has disappeared. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that is actually a So maybe the sort of upfront versus back like front loaded versus back loaded concept that I had sort of stumbled into talking about incentives yeah. with is really more of a bribery versus reinforcement incentives. That might structure. be that might be a better um, way to think about it. Which is why that. when we started getting into it it kind of fell apart. <laughs> and Yeah, and, but I think now I'm seeing how that's coming but back it together. It does sort of make sense in that yeah. reframed in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And so you do want to you want to build in the way that sort of the corruption move in Urban Shadows works. Yeah. Build in sort of long term reinforcements so that even when so that you have these things that you're pushing, like sort of sets of actions, yeah. genres that you're pushing people towards um, to reinforce them. So that even if they are not explicitly doing a move, they'll act more like the werewolf because when they are looking at their sheet, they see all these moves that push them toward that genre. Mm-hmm. So even if they aren't explicitly in the fiction doing one of those moves, they'll probably still do a wolfy thing. Yeah. Whereas you also want to say when you explicitly do this thing, you will also get more corruption right? because you did that thing. Yeah. And so having, having pointed leading bribery yeah. in your games <laughs> to lead people and, and then, and then sort of like trick them into reinforcing those actions, even when you aren't bribing them. Well, yeah. Cause you can, you can also combine those two things. You can give the, the paladin, a big, awesome shield. Yeah. And the first time they shield somebody, ting, 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 there's your Benny. But also, like, in that moment where the paladin loses his shield and chooses to still jump in front of the, the arrow anyway to defend the fire, like, to defend the monk or whatever, that's, yeah. like, that's what you want. Like, that's if that's awesome. a cool story moment, yeah. so you do want to re- bribe them into taking those actions and then reinforce those actions so that they take them even when the bribe is gone. Exactly. That's a really... Yeah. <laughs> I think we may have come around on something interesting right. here. because you want Bruce Banner to sometimes haul off and punch somebody mm-hmm. even if he can't hulk out. Yeah. Because then that's very cool. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's, that's what I have to talk about. Wow, that built into a point way yeah. better than I thought it was <laughs> yeah, going to there. I, I thought we had kind of <laughs> lost it. But, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, so let us know if we've lost it. If, we, if we've lost it, please administer a very painful electric shock. Um, and if not, then please send us a reinforcer. You can send us reinforcers uh, with both of us together on Twitter at Stop Hack and Roll or me individually at Dr. Captain Cobalt. Or me at at end of the meltdowns. You can also come check out our website at uh, www.stopbackandroll.com where we have all of the episodes get posted and you can check out some links to the the games that we've been working on a little bit. And also, like we haven't talked about it in a little while, so if you don't look at the show notes in your, in your podcatcher app, um, they're all on the website too, and we try to always include the names of games we've referenced in the episodes, so you can go explore them on your own um, and try to be a cool resource in that way. We also have an email address. It's Brandon or James at stophackandroll.com. 
if you have a longer thing you'd like to tell us. And we also have a Discord, which is really great for discussions and conversations. Today, uh, James goaded Jeff Stormer into <laughs> writing a An Olive, Olive Garden, Garden LARP. And it's really good. And that's the kind of quality <laughs> content that you can get on the Stop Back and Roll Discord. Yeah, and you can find that. Um, if you are a Patreon backer, there's links to it through there. And if not, it's discord.stopbackandroll.com. We make this podcast and all of our future podcasts with the support of Patreon backers like Stephen Mitchell, Rob Harvey, Blake Ryan, V. Brower, Declan Chadbourne, Ryan, Troy Pitchelman, Riverhouse Games, Randy Lubin, Nick Clark, Robert Kosick, and Rob Abrazado. We really appreciate so much uh, that the Patreons give us all this support. It makes it possible for us to start making bigger, cooler projects. And just thank you all very much. Uh, if you would like to support us in a non-monetary way, uh, we would encourage you to tell a friend about the show or give us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your home-baked podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Come to the website. I think technically you can post comments. Uh, check it every once in a while. <laughs> you so. can post comments. Really? But thus far, I've not received a comment that wasn't from a fake pharmaceutical company. That's true. We get a lot of those. We get a lot um, of those. But yeah, the biggest thing is share the show. Yeah. Share the show with people. Um, share them with your gaming group. Share them with your development group. And invite people to the Discord. We get we spend a lot of time talking about the games that we are all working on and helping each other move forward in those games. And I know some people have had some pretty big break- breakthroughs yeah. based off of feedback they've gotten. And even if you're just looking for playtesters, yeah. we are a community on the Discord of people who like to think about hacking games. Yeah, and absolutely. I bet there are some good playtesters there. There are. I actually know that... Uh, that Brian was play testing for Erica the other day and it sounded like it was a great, great game. And, uh, Oh, and if you need any other incentive to go onto the discord, I've recently been posting pictures of a Corgi puppy that I'm going to be having soon. He's giving birth to a puppy. I'm, I'm giving birth to a puppy. I've been posting pictures of said puppy. So go on the discord. If you want to see those. So when you're sitting around the table with your friends, playing some games, and you're trying to decide whether or not the next action you'll take will trigger the GM's electric trap, don't forget to stop Pat. called a dragon pad maybe did you intentionally get a pop filter that's named after a dragon no